Yeah. Well, new music. I mean, I guess it's just music that someone's composed and they get a bunch of musicians together somehow and it's performed for the first time. You're right. That is the definition of new, of new music. Good. I'm glad we got that sorted. <laughs> Done. Okay. Should we, should we do this? Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to episode one of the Upbow Downlow. Recorded today, this is uh, the 10th of June. We're at the Australian National Academy of Music. My name is Luke Harbin. And my name is Kenny Keppel. We're here today to talk a little bit about what's happening at this building in South Melbourne, the Australian National Academy of Music, which is one of Australia's premier uh, classical training institutions. We want to give you more of an idea of what happens behind closed practice room doors and what happens within rehearsals and, uh, and a little bit about why we care so much about what we do here and why you should too. So just a little bit of background about who we are. Uh, Luke Cumman, you're a clarinet player. and Kenny Keppel, you're also a, a, happily a clarinet player. Yes, by very happily. coincidence. I wouldn't play any other instrument. You That's... can't. <laughs> <laughs> but you can. Um, and recently we've been looking at a lot of new music. We've got heaps of what we call new music concerts coming up. Um, some of them aren't so new and some of them are really at the forefront of things that have never, ever been performed before. Last week we were talking to Ed Carroll who came and did a project with mainly our brass and percussion students, and we've got an interview with him coming up a little bit later. Absolutely. So they were talking about the internationally renowned uh, trumpet player and pedagogue Ed Carroll, the, um, who spent a lot of time uh, in, in Northern Europe, um, hailing from America originally, who had a lot of things to say about new music and is an incredible advocate of the art. Yeah. I think definitely being at Anim, it's really, really cool to be around people who actually really believe in the music that they're trying to that they're trying to bring to to people it's it's something that often can be lost quite easily right like it's one thing to play all the notes correctly but to to really actually bring some sort of intention and i think that's what's really exciting for me uh about new music is that it's there's some intention you're trying you're intending to do something new Here's the thing. If, you, if you're playing in a, a concert or you, if you're putting on a gig or whatever and there's new music, do you, do you feel um, like you invite people to it in a sort of different way than if you were playing like a Brahms quintet or, or, or something more? Yeah, more it is different, isn't it? Because, because if it's like, a, yeah, you know, Brahms whatever quintet piece that everyone knows, that's the thing. Every, everyone kind of knows it already. It's, it's already been rehashed and rechopped into a billion different ways by a billion different, by so many different orchestras and conductors and different interpretations that we kind of know where it sits already inside the sort of universe of, of our Western classical art music. Yeah, it's like you're not asking them to buy anything new. Mm-hmm. You're asking them to take like a really low-risk option to yeah. come and hear some music that they know and probably are going to really like. But if you're putting on some new music, yeah. some stuff like with the ink still drying on the page maybe or that incorporates elements of, of improvisation or, you know, weird instrumentation or, like, um, harmony completely... <laughs> pushed out the window. <laughs> pushed, yeah, pushed out the window. Like, it, it, you're asking people to take a punt on that. Yeah, well, why not? I mean, once you've gotten to sort of mastering your harmonic language and using counterpoint or whatever, you know, like in university studies, how, how you do those sort of very basic musical analysis, after that... What do you do? 
you know, what do you do with all of that information? You go get a job at a bank, I think. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a fair question though, because like, is, is the purpose then like as new music practitioners to continually push the boundaries? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think I think so. I mean, you can you you you're basically faced with a choice, aren't you? You're you have to choose whether you want to sort of do more of what's already sort of happened or are you going to do something new and that's controversial right because you can do new stuff with old stuff like you that's the, yeah you, you can leave your mark on on the beethoven string quartets in a way that hasn't been done before well take for example um the the vivaldi four seasons recomposed by max richter yeah, right sure. that's like that's exactly what we're talking about taking something old and and remixing it into something new and as a side note, by the way, listeners, uh, one of our esteemed violin players, Carla Matsura Miller, um, at the Australian National Academy, she'll be heading up to Brisbane in a couple of months to perform the Max Richter Vivaldi recomposed. Really cool piece. I had the I was I had a very fortunate uh, experience to see a group in New Zealand called the Blackbird Ensemble perform that piece with uh, Amalia Hall, who was I think the seventh place winner in the recent Joseph Joachim. Um, violin, international violin competition from she's a New Zealander. Well, okay, do you mind if I just, just chuck in one more thing there about yeah. the Max Richter? I, yeah, I, yeah. I saw this last year with um, the Brandenburg Orchestra and um, the, the Brandenburg, the Australian Brandenburg oh, yeah, Orchestra. Yeah. yeah. Um, and th- they, they did it at the Melbourne Recital Centre just down there. And what they did was they incorporated a huge amount of like light show with it. And so there, there were parts of it where the, the, everyone, everyone was in complete blackness except for the sconces on the stage. Yeah. And it was just an incredibly effective use of the space, an incredibly effective use of, you know, multiple I, senses. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up you there. Yeah, go on. Um, <laughs> and just mention that the, the show that I saw Max Richter's Recomposed Four Seasons in with Blackbird Ensemble was absolutely incredible. What they did with the, with the staging was that they got a bunch of tree branches from like the forest and brought them and made a forest on stage and then just like dark mood lighting um and they even they even put a pond on stage so there was this beautiful like trickling reflection of the fake moon in the in the backdrop on the pond and it was really really magical i think i think when you get when you get groups that are really trying to push the boundaries of what we would traditionally call a classical music concert, I think that's pretty exciting. So um, probably now is a good time for us to listen to the little interview that we did with Ed Carroll. You've come from a place of fairly high orchestral music making and you've chosen on this trip and uh, I imagine wherever else you teach to promote a lot of new music and to play a lot of new music and I'm, I'm getting an impression that that's where a lot of your fealty lies. Yeah I think that's 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 safe to say at this point. Uh, I'm not a contemporary music specialist. Many people think that I am <laughs> because it's a great deal of what I do and what I teach, particularly what I teach at, at, at Cal Arts. Uh, the majority of the music that I teach is music that's still wet, let alone music from the last 50 years. Um, and that then begs the question of what is contemporary music? Is contemporary music something in the last 100 years or in our lifetime, or is it something in the last 12 or 24 months? Mm, yeah, um, It's hard to, to, to put 
an absolute definition on that. And yet at the same time, I believe very, very strongly that we're part of a continuum with music and that we need to know, we, and we need to perform at the highest level the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. We have to know the m- music of Mozart. We have to know Haydn. We have to know early and late Beethoven. We have to know all the music that has ev- evolved over the years over the hundreds of years now, to bring us to where we are today. But then our job isn't only to curate that great music, but is to understand that unique position that we're in at this moment and then to take the music forward from there. Because our responsibility is to move the ball forward and keep, keep bringing contemporary music you know, everything is period music. We have, we we fell in love with with Baroque performance practice and started calling it period performance practice. Yeah. Well, I think the early 1960s tape pieces are now period performance mm-hmm. practices. Yeah. Everything comes from a period, and it's just authentic performance that we're looking for, and we're looking for authentic performance today. And this is always informed by everything that's brought us to where we are, and then we're doing our best through our associations with composers and through our friends and our own improvisations and everything that we do to bring music forward. It's a it's a uh, a strange term, authenticity, um, isn't it? Because um, your associations that you just talked about with the composers, and you know David Lang, for example, and. Um, uh, your relationship with him, I imagine, has coloured the way you'd, you'd approach his music. Is it possible to say then that um, you feel you can play and replicate new music more comfortably through those associations than you could uh, the music of Haydn, for example? Yeah, well, uh, of course. You know, I was having this discussion a few weeks ago when Nikos Harnoncourt died. Mm. Um, and this is... This is a man who is a true specialist in the music of Schubert and the music of Mendelssohn and Schumann and these composers. And in this conversation, we were speculating, you know, will there be another person that will be such a specialist in that repertoire? Or with his death, has that then come to an end? Um, Because he came to this music, of course, as as a musician who was exploring original instruments and gut strings and, you know, uh, other temperaments and, and playing in that authoritative style of early music. And then that evolved into an authoritative exploration using modern instruments and the Vienna Philharmonic to, to look at this music. And now he passes along. So we're one more generation removed. We could look at the music of Gustav Mahler as an example. Um, Bruno Walter knew Gustav Mahler, and Bruno Walter gave the first performances of at least one of his symphonies, if not more. Um, with Walter's death, then there's no one left who had that association with the composer. Mm. So now we have to go to people that knew Bruno Walter. So now we find Lenny Bernstein and people like this who are vitally interested in this music and have long conversations with Walter about it and Metropolis and people that had that old connection. 
And then you, the, the Walter and Mahler live on through Bernstein. But then Lenny dies. Mm-hmm. And now we're one more generation removed. And we keep getting further and further away from those particular composers. On the other hand, mm. today, if we're looking at Liza Lim's music, we have people here who have incredible associations with her through her ensemble here and you know other, other ways. And so we could go right to the fulcrum of the music, and it's so much more interesting Furthermore, if we have these associations with composers uh, that are our friends, they're interested, they know our music, they know what we do, and so they'll write for us Mm -hmm. and probably write collaboratively for us. That this isn't the days of commissioning some composer who writes a piece generically for trumpet, but instead they're writing for Tristram's voice on the trumpet. And they're collaborating together. And the more collaboration there is in that process, the more likely it'll be that Tristram will play it multiple times because he had his fingers on the pulse of actually creating the music. Mm. And so he'll want to bring it out because it's part of him too. Mm. And so the closer we are to the absolute wellspring of the music, the more passionately we're going to be getting into it and uh, promoting it, and we'll be playing it with more knowledge and authority. On the other hand, it will be our first time playing the piece, and then, as we know, any piece, the more times we play it under a variety of conditions, the more. So we have have that freshness, which also lends itself to, well, it needs to steep, it needs to, to, we need to live with it a little bit more. So we're trading one for the other, but... Mm. What what do you say to people who... Uh, coming from a background which is not necessarily uh, learned in uh, the sort of history of classical western classical music Mm -hmm. and art music and people who find this kind of new music quite difficult to listen to or i know exactly what you're asking um i i direct an organization in America called the Center for Advanced Musical Studies. Mm. And we present uh, two-week seminars in the summer right now. It's a two-week trumpet seminar and a two-week percussion seminar. And the percussion seminar is of particular interest in this regard because the, the audience that we have in a small venue in rural New Hampshire is a very loyal audience, but they don't know percussion music at all. And most everything written for the percussion ensemble, I think the first works written for percussion ensemble were from Harry, uh, Henry Cowell and people like that from the 1930s. So it's a, it's a new ensemble. And so all the music that they're playing is going to be contemporary music. And I talk to the audience before every program, just introducing the musicians they're going to be hearing and the music that they're going to be hearing. And I always get that question. I, I don't know anything about this music. I don't understand this music. Yeah. And then my question to that person is always, do you understand Beethoven? Mm. And they say, yes. <laughs> and I say, oh, okay. Well, I've lived my entire life with Beethoven's music and I don't claim for a moment that I understand Beethoven's music, but I'm comfortable with the vernacular because I've lived with it for a long time. So let's let's take the term understanding out of or off the table right now 
and find other ways to listen to this music. So is it then, is is the idea for any new music or old music, is, is it purely just for the experience? Yeah, well, what I ask them to do instead is to listen to the energy of the music. Mm. You don't have to know how a fugue works with the subject and the development. You don't need to know any of this. Mm. Listen to the energy of the music. Listen to the colors in the music, particularly in percussion ensemble. The colors are miraculous. So listen to the energy, listen to the colors, and then watch the commitment of the performers and how into it they are. Mm. And that's great because any audience will look at these young musicians and how they're tearing into the music and everyone's right together and playing it with authority and enthusiasm and it's colorful and there's all this energy in the music and how can you not like that? You don't have to understand it. Mm. But there's a lot to appreciate on a pure visceral musical level without having ever done an analysis of the music. I don't, I don't find that professional musicians necessarily have done a Schenkerian analysis of every symphony that they're playing like mm. this, but they understand the vernacular and, and they bring a certain amount of enthusiasm to the music and then that shows. Um, but particularly with contemporary musics, I think it's enough to just listen to color, energy, and watch commitment. I mean, you could say the same thing for uh, a pop band or, or a rock band. I, I, I went to, to my first Australian um, uh, rules football the other yeah. night, and I went to see the, the Bulldogs with Tristram. I don't know this game at all. I in the after, after you're not alone there. <laughs> in, in the afternoon before I I looked it up on YouTube a little bit and I read the Wikipedia page about the Australian Football League and and got some sense of how scoring happens and what this is like, but I was going there for the experience. So, we arrived to see the doggies and we're in this huge crowd. There was an enormous crowd there. That's already fun being part of that kind of big experience like this. And I knew just enough about the game. I knew how many points it scored when you put the ball through this and that you have to, you know, punt the ball each time or kick the ball each time. And if you catch it, when you mark the ball, you do this thing. And that's all I know about it. Mm -hmm. But that was plenty for me to enjoy this and to just watch these people laying each other out and going crazy and the people in the the the, the crowd you know cheering them on or or expressing their displeasure or whatever they're doing like this it was terrific i really liked it and that was on saturday night and on sunday afternoon i had some time and i was alone in my hotel room and i went to the television and i started flipping through and i found another football match and i watched it for a while because, you know, it's not my sport, but I still liked it enough from my experience with it that way that there was something to go back to. And I think it's the same way for music, and I think it's the same way when we go to an art exhibit or an or experimental theater or anything. Experimental theater, how, how can we possibly know what's part of the process with yeah. this? But we could still experience it and enjoy it we don't have to have an insider's view of any art form 
Do, do you fear, therefore, like uh, even a small sense of alienation? Like, how do you bring new listeners into the fold? You bring the music to their attention as much as possible. We have to be passionate enough in our music making and our music production that we will evangelize a little bit. Mm. We'll be willing to get on airplanes and fly for 27 hours to be with other musicians and to bring music out or to walk across town to do something and play outside under a fountain or whatever it takes to bring our passion for music to the people like this. And if we play passionately, if we play with commitment, understanding, everyone here at the Anam has, has great talent. So if they bring their passion for music along with their talent to the people, the people will probably notice, or there'll be an element of people that will notice and you'll hook them in and they'll want to know more about you. Well, that was Ed Carroll and our conversation with him about our project last week and about what he really, really is passionate about. He's such an inspirational guy. It, it was an infectious passion. Like I, I felt really good about it. He made music. me excited. Totally, totally. Definitely. And it was a good gig as well, which we'll play, I think, a, a, a portion of that concert um, on a later podcast. So stay tuned for that one. All right, so now it's time for the Minute of Mimicry. Now, listeners, this is a segment we're going to use to introduce the, uh, the students of Anam to you. So this week, we're very delighted to be joined by um, one of our first-year cellists, Liam Meany. And the way this segment's going to work um, is we're going to introduce Liam to you through music, of course. So Liam's going to play something <laughs> on the cello. And uh, we thought it'd be funny if Kenny and I then tried to mimic him as closely as we could on two clarinets at once. So it'll be about 30 seconds of Liam and then 30 seconds of us trying to play what he just played <laughs> all bloodbath yeah take it away Liam. <laughs> Yeah, we've got this. Come on. Ready? I don't remember how it went. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I think it, had, it went like da 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 at some point. We're cool. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> Cool, I think we nailed that. Yeah, Beautiful. That well, Liam, thank you for joining Exactly us. the same as what Liam played. Identical. Like, thanks for the tips, guys. I just feel like yeah. I know how to play right. that piece so much better now. Hang on, we better adjust. Should we put, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, look, tell me a little bit about yourself. Why, why are you here? Who are you, Liam? Who are you, Liam? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm a cellist originally from Sydney, or you could say I moved to Sydney to study there. So, I don't know. Sort of a... An Aussie, let's go with that. I'm an Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can relate, Kenny. Uh, I have no idea what an Aussie is. <laughs> <laughs> um, like yeah, food. I don't know. Yeah, moved from Sydney to Melbourne to study here at NM. 
um, mostly to study with Howard, who's just like the cello god in my eyes. What's so special about Howard, Lee? Um, he has all the answers. Um, I just hope that I can get as much from him as I can while I'm here at Annette. Yeah. 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 Good. And how's it going? Um, I've learned that there is a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> that's always that's a good. hard lesson. That's, <laughs> that's a hard lesson. No, but that's good. Lesson. I mean, that's the first step, isn't it? To yeah. know that you actually have a lot to yeah. have a lot to learn, but yeah. also a lot to give, I think. And um, where do you want to be going? Uh, I'd love to be either a chamber player um, in like an established ensemble or an orchestral player. That's cool. Solo is not really my cup of tea because it's a bit too lonely. <laughs> and it's much more fun playing music with friends. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I, and we get to play with a lot of our friends here. We do get to play with a lot of our friends. That's one of the things that I think is very enjoyable about NM, isn't it? Uh, off the top of your head, um, do you have any funny anecdotes, <laughs> stories, you know, screw-ups that have happened while you've been here? Um, I don't know. My personal favourite, it was a few years ago now, um, when I was in Canberra, um, leading Canberra Youth Orchestra, and we played... William Tell Overture, and I don't know if But before all of that, there's actually this cello section tutti solo mm-hmm. where, like, there's five or six Debussy parts, and the principal has quite a long solo. And at the end of the whole concert, like, not the end of William Tell, but the whole concert, yeah. when the conductor does a bow, I did a bow too, being so pleased that I didn't screw up my solo. <laughs> and so it was just, and like, I wasn't even cued to, and it was just the most embarrassing thing <laughs> afterwards. So I then had 90-odd musicians giving me the worst time of it backstage <laughs> afterwards. Not because I had actually played my solo and I was happy with it, but because I'd gone in and then screwed it up right at the end and been like, oh, thank you, everyone. <laughs> and just taken a bow when you were yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, it just took a bow when it was the conductor's <laughs> that's, that's fine, I reckon. If yeah, you, if that you was did. definitely definitely one of my most sort of regrettable moments in uh, performance. But every gig now, you you know. Oh, yeah, no, every gig now I'm very conscious of, okay, is everyone bowing? <laughs> oh, good, I'll go with that. Always the last one down. Yeah, yeah no, it's very much like one. a, oh, good, everyone, yeah, I'll go too. <laughs> that's very funny. You won't do that again. No, definitely not. No, thank, thank you, you for you, having Liam. me. Yeah. Thank you. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our first episode of the Upbow Download. I hope you've enjoyed it, listeners. Um, you can find more of these episodes on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify now, do a podcast service or wherever you get your podcasts, really. Um, so we look forward to talking more with you next episode where we're going to talk a little bit, a bit about perfection. So until then, I've been Luke Carbon. And I'm Kenny Keppel. See you next time. Mm-hmm.